everybody from whenever, wherever you may be watching. This is The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. I'm your host, as always, Johnny Torres. Thank you so much for watching. We've got a packed show uh, for you today. Lots of news in a full slate. And so let's jump right into today's topics. We have a $3 trillion bailout that passes the house. Um, we're going to see how much ice cream that can buy at Pelosi's house. Uh, what's Cuomo's COVID policy? the worst in the nation. We're going to pick apart uh, what is the largest outbreak of the coronavirus in the country. And Obama speaks out, uh, not only in this commencement, but he's also starting to come out against the president uh, now that he's getting more involved in this uh, election. In California, will we see a red California in November? We're also going to deconstruct that along with these guys here. It's the usual crew back together for today's show over here to my right left I, I'm a, I, Nick, I can never get this right Anibal Cabrera right next to me in the bottom corner we've got Christopher Kylan and Jake Hoffman as always what's up fellas how's it going how's it going what's Johnny up? I swear I feel like we haven't seen each other in you know uh, I don't know a year this week just seemed really really long for me anyways uh, but uh, I'm excited you know there's obviously some coronavirus stuff and some non-coronavirus stuff to talk about so let's dive right into What's easily, I would say, the biggest news of the day, the House trying to pass a $3 trillion bailout. Um, and, it, and as expected, you know, coming from Nancy Pelosi, it's a hot mess. Um, everybody on the Senate side in the executive branch has already said it's dead on arrival. Um, you know, where, where do we even start, you know, picking apart this, this beast of a bill that uh, Pelosi's trying to get out? Well, I can tell you one thing, Johnny, that it is what we've been warning about on this show for what three months now at this point what we've been saying is that the things that come out of coronavirus the response that comes out of washington we need to make sure that it's not permanent and this type of bill is nancy pelosi's way of in in the democrats and the leftists and the and all the socialists that are over on that side are trying to push towards the country. Like, again, it's a, it's a Christmas list, right? It's a wish list of a bunch of democratic policies that they wanted implemented before coronavirus. And they're using coronavirus as an excuse to, to push you know, unemployment all the way to, to January, uh, to get rid of student loan debt, to do all of these different things that are not ultimately good for the country, but again, have been democratic wish list for a long time. So it's, it's a way of starting to again, get Americans used to being reliant on welfare, reliant on government, and again, it's it slowly seeps into you know uh, you know UBI and those type of conversations that that we've been trying to advocate against on this show for a long time. So that's that's what this is ultimately. Again, like you said, it's not going to pass, but there's a whole lot in there that you can get mad about. That's for sure. Yeah, Neville, I know that. I'm sorry, I was just going to actually come to you. Yeah, I know you follow the numbers really closely um, on stuff like this. You know, what's kind of the most audacious part of this? Uh, I mean, I'm hearing bailouts for California uh, and some of these other states that have obviously, you know, they, they've never balanced their budget to begin with, although they claim to have balanced budget amendments. The, the numbers are uh, astronomical when it comes to wanting to bail out the states, wanting to bail out lobbying groups, wanting to bail out um, day, um, payday lenders, uh, all those kind of um, organizations that were not allowed to participate in the first two or maybe now three rounds of stimulus are really trying to get a handle on this situation. So you can really see where Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are getting their money from and their donors. And it's these now this, this, these large organizations that are trying to get money out of them. The SALT tax, which is just a way to take states' rights away from uh, taxing their individual rich um, citizens to um, just an immense amount of additional stimulus packaging. The pork is heavy on this stimulus package, and I don't think it's going to happen. Well, they're absolutely, I mean, again, if anyone knows how to take advantage of a crisis, it's certainly the Democrats. And, you know, we saw Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, put in some favors there in this last uh, stimulus bill, you know, where she gave the Kennedy Center a whole bunch of money, and that obviously became a huge news item. And, and all along the way, you know, we see California giving money to illegal immigrants. Uh, Chris, uh, you know, as we see, you know, this is obviously, they knew this wasn't going to. This to me is always that, that warning shot, right? Yeah. Um, what do you think is going to be the, the actual bill here, Chris? And where, where do you see uh, them getting away with some stuff? 
So yeah, John, the idea that Congress and the House are holding uh, aid to the people hostage because they have a coronavirus to justify what they're spending and the fact that they're using that as a means by which to get people to urge the legislature to, to spend this money is, is really reprehensible. Like, first of all, you're, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're, you're making people have the need in the first place by keeping everything shut down. And let's just be honest, Democrats are keeping everything shut down and their cohorts in these state and local governments are making this need not a necessity. Uh, so the idea is... Yeah, I get what you're saying, Chris, is that this is something that they're holding up the entire country based off of, you know, this is supposed to be about a virus, remember? Like, if you guys can remember what this is actually supposed to be about, this is a bill that has nothing to do with coronavirus, and any of it uh, that is still in there is self-inflicted wounds, right? So if you look past that and you look at the, the sheer numbers, like Anibal was starting to allude to, you're looking at possibly running a, a six or seven trillion dollar deficit this year. That's insane. Right, like just this isn't this like year too. just this year. We already if, to to try and put that into perspective is not even possible. Uh, the numbers are so big, and that's why people look at this like, well, the government can just keep spending money. The government, like, it's so these numbers are so astronomical that people can't wrap their heads around them, and so they think that it just falls from the sky because right now it is kind of just falling from the sky to them, and and that's what's going on. And then you have somebody like Nancy Pelosi and these Democrats trying to push this this giant giant program onto us and it again it doesn't even really get to the the crux of the issue and i was explaining this to a lot of people you know business owners they got they got theirs in the in the ppp loans uh but a lot of those businesses didn't shut down that's what one of the things we talked about with you know like harvard getting it and uh, shake shack and all these people who didn't really need it all that much they had the means uh, at the end of the day to to keep going and, and they're okay you know, the average American getting $1,200, like, that's great. I think that's important. But, you know, when you start to look at it, it's the money is just thrown at everybody, right? It's not, there's no careful thought and strategy into what they're doing. If you told me you're going to put a trillion dollars injected into the economy because you're going to give it to hospitality specifically, or, you know, you can, you have to prove that your business went out of business for, you know, a couple of, a couple of months or all those types of things, you would probably drop the cost of this significantly down and also hyper target what you are trying to do and really address the problem at hand. Right now, we're not addressing the problem at hand. We're just printing money and throwing it and, you know, just money printer go burr, all of it, just all that's all that's happening over and over again. And, and nothing, and there's really nothing to, um, you know, there's nothing measurable happening right now. You know, they think they just bring well, money is going to solve the problem. Well, and again, to kind of use it as a metaphor, I mean, you know, they're basically trying to, you know, we're, we're basically riding the Titanic and they're trying to bucket out all the water, you know, that's coming into the boat. Meanwhile, Democrats are not only trying to dump the water out of the boat, but at the same time, they're making the hole bigger, you know, on the back end, because, you know, trust me when I tell you that they're going to use this as ammunition against the president and saying, look at how much debt he's gotten this into the same way that they're already building the narrative that look at all the people that have died, you know, under President Trump, you know, because of this virus. And so they're here basically doing double handed work because they know that they're not going to get any type of, uh, of pushback and they're not going to have to take any and Johnny, responsibility to, to for this about... uh, spending. To speak about not getting any pushback, there is a billboard in Times Square that has a death count from that is Trump's responsibility. It says Trump's death count due to inaction. I mean, insane, just absolutely insane. They're not going to get any pushback, but go ahead and evil. DJ, DJ, DCAB. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what really is happening here is that Nancy never expected this bill to pass whatsoever out of the Senate and let alone, let alone it going to the president's desk. And the reason why she did this and the reason why it's full of pork and, and research for a woman-based um, uh, marijuana facilities and making sure that there's a minority female on every single executive board that takes money is that they're trying to build a narrative of what their 2020 uh, agenda is going to look like. And one, this is coming from the wrong person. It should really be coming from Joe Biden and his push for it, but no one knows what bunker he's in tonight, today. And then two, you, you see that she is completely held by the extreme left, by the AOCs of the world, that they're just pushing the narrative and it's pissing people off. Because again, yes, we're gonna be at a, like two or three trillion dollars already after everything is said and done, not including this, this particular package. 
but the the goal for some people is to print as much money as possible because they don't think it's going to cause uh, irreparable damage. And the problem is that you cannot get people to continue to push and say yes to this because eventually you will get the, the Ron Pauls of the world saying that the deficit hawks that are not going to let us continue moving this forward. But if you go into the nitty gritty of what's in the bill, it's, it's, it's laughable of the things that they're asking for people to do. So a couple more, a couple more points on that topic. So I really don't like that the, the the money flow is making people not have to make hard decisions, not having to analyze what measures do we take as far as keeping clothes down, as opposed to how much money is this going to cost. And the like, I've gone back to this weeks and months ago. People do not understand what money comes from, how goods are produced, and how that results in our lives being better or worse. And the 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 long-reaching effects of that can result like we're not going to be able to. Like I said before, we're not going to be able to help the third world countries anymore. We're going to have deaths in third world countries because we're not helping them anymore. Uh, the other Elon idea Musk, is- Elon Musk said that if you don't make stuff, you don't have stuff. And that is the, at the crux of, of the, the economy. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, no, it's, just frustrating. it's very frustrating. To see what's happening. to explain the idea of how the economy works to solve this coronavirus debate or to have a, a, a say that it's an important part of this is ridiculous. Like I have to go through four years of college in order to educate someone why we should not have the coronavirus lockdown indefinitely until we have got a vaccine. And that's what it's become. Well, well that's again, not we've never promised. Well, and we've never been through this, right? And so I think there's a lot of learned lessons here. And honestly, um, as we're starting to see, people are realizing that when it comes to the larger states, you know, you're looking at what Texas has done and what we've done here in Florida, and you compare that to California and New York, and you're seeing a very different type of leadership that has obviously been very effective in this kind of situation. And now we know, if this thing ever happens again, that you know, you don't have to shut down the entire economy. There are best practices and guidelines that you can put in place for businesses to remain open. And I think that's the biggest lesson to come out of here. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, to transition into our next point is how, how you know, contrasting the leadership has been, let's say, between New York and Florida and, and the repercussions of that. And of course, people want to, you know, defend Cuomo and say, well, you know, it's the density in New York City and the surrounding areas that have, that have led to those, those astronomical numbers. Yeah, but the not. truth of the matter is, even if you can look at very specific things like not shutting down the subway earlier. I mean, he literally took two he months. He still on the subway. It's never shut yeah. down. He won't shut it down. And, and then, of course, you know, the biggest thing that's going to come back to haunt him are the number of deaths in nursing homes and, uh, and how he exacerbated that problem by forcing nursing homes to admit people, you know, and, to, and today coming out and saying, well, no one should be prosecuted for the deaths that occurred in nursing homes. Well, yeah, you created that problem. You created that mess. And if anybody should be prosecuted, it's, it's Governor Cuomo. That's the whole. Yeah, well, that's that's the really. That's the whole point of our entire system is the federalistic aspect of it. We have the individual states to so able to make and produce laws so that we can see what works in those states and what doesn't. A great example, and that we've already been kind of talking about it, is the nursing home situation. It was New York, New Jersey, and California that required nursing um, patients that were coming out of nursing homes that were in the hospitals and that they were, they were stabilized to go back to the nursing homes. And that caused a cascade of events that caused even more deaths and hospitalizations. Now, New Jersey and California cut that out in the, uh, mid-April, but you now have uh, New York only now stopping that and what happened there. And that shows a, a, a really lack of understanding of what was going on. He was asking for ventilators he didn't need. He was asking for a hospital ship that he didn't need and he didn't use. And that's, and that's why people are, he looks shiny, the media likes him and everything else. But history will show that he was one of the worst governors in the United States during this pandemic that would not, was not willing to shift or show that he was wrong. Well, Anibal, and that's, and that's really the problem, though, to go to Johnny's original point about learning a lesson. I don't think that we're going to learn a lesson. <laughs> that's, that's really the problem here, is that if you look at how the media is reported, I mean, they're still reporting. People want Andrew Cuomo to run for governor or for, for president because of the way that he's handled this entire thing. And like you guys have said, he's had some of the worst numbers. New York is the epicenter due to the policies that that city and that state has taken. Right. It's so poorly managed that that is the that is solely for the reason 
that they, they have to blame. Yes, density has something to do with it, but at the end of the day, you're not seeing the same type of spikes in, in LA or in, in DC or San Francisco and all those other places, even, even as bad as they are. Now, when you take all of those things, again, are we going to actually learn from them? I don't think so. But if you were to learn from them, you would do something very similar to what Florida Governor Ron DeSantis did, which is you do not force people to go back to nursing homes. You, you actually focus on, okay, where are the sick people? What can we do with them? Can we quarantine them, put them into different, different nursing homes, something like that? These are all the questions that should have been asked two months ago before we shut down the entire economy. We didn't shut down the entire economy. We didn't. We didn't uh, evaluate it in, in a critical manner. So we just shut down the entire economy. We did these sweeping regulations. And again, they don't work. The, the, the effect of on our economy is going to be, you know, probably felt for a decade, if not longer. And yeah. instead, you know, we could probably put together an entire checklist now afterwards of saying like, here's how you do it. Here's how you handle it. But are we going to do that? Probably not. I would assume I think the media will. is going to keep. I think, I think the media. I think the media is going to keep telling people that. I mean, look at look at what's going on right now. Even even as we all sit here, reasonable human beings, saying, "Here's how we could. Here's how we could not only solve this in the future, but you know, right now, look, you just just if you just focus on, solely on on nursing homes, focus on the sick, and then you let other people go back to work and you do social distancing, all those things. Like that's too that's too reasonable for everybody. Right now, the only conversation that's happening is. LA saying we're going to be shut down until there's a cure. You know, people in, in liberal cities talking and the media talking about like, we're not going to do anything until there's a vaccine available to, I mean, and like, it's unrealistic stuff. And but that's, people, freaking, that's freaking people out. I, oh, want, yeah. I want them to go that extreme because you need that kind of difference of show of what's happening. Again, right now, yes, the media looks like it's, it's always going to be on one side. Six months from now, we're going to have an election, and it's going to be a completely different world. And the only way Democrats and even Republicans learn their lessons is when they lose at the ballots. That's the only time they'll ever win. You, no, that's not true. That's not true. When, it, yes, it, it, is it, when it, they win. The entire it, Democratic it, Party shifted in the 80s because they lost tremendously to Reagan. You, you, they, should have, they should have shifted after the last election, and then look at what they did. All they had to do was yeah. have a, regular, a normal candidate, not act crazy, not put a bunch of you know, crazy socialist policies together, but look what they did. Multiple cycles for them, for any <laughs> political party to get to understand what's going to pivot that. It, it just it happens. It takes, I mean, and I think the most seconds. telling number, the most the most telling <laughs> number in in all of this is honestly the fact that uh, you know in pulling up the numbers really quick. I mean, uh, Florida has two thousand deaths total, total throughout the entire state. When you pull up. New York Times actually put out a an article today about how uh, you know a third of all the deaths nationwide have been at nursing homes. New York is at number one, with twenty percent of all the state's deaths coming from nursing homes, um, with five thousand four hundred and three deaths. I mean that's more than twice the the number of deaths that have that there have been in Florida. And so at some point you got to say this is failed leadership. Even if we don't have a city as dense as New York, okay, the fact that you have more than twice the number of people who died in nursing homes compared to the entire population of a state with similar of, of similar size uh, is a complete and utter lack of uh, or failure of leadership. And, and how he's not thrown out of office after all this. And again, and that's, and that's kind of what, what goes back to what we were talking about a little bit last week was let's go back after this is all done and evaluate you know, who did it right and who did it wrong. So what, like, why did Italy have such a crazy spike in numbers? They're going back to normal sometime this week. And you're going to have to, people are going to have to answer for like, what happened there? Like, why was it so bad there? Same thing with New York. Why was it so bad there? And again, like you said, it's going to come back down to leadership at the end of the day and policy. And you, and you can't even use the density as that much of an argument. For the longest time, the, of the five boroughs in New York City, Staten Island had the most deaths and the, and the per capita, and it was the high, it was one of the, it's the lowest densely populated part of New York City. I think Brooklyn now took it over, but for almost the entire run, it was Staten Island. So even the density conversation is not that, is not that much. In LA, only six people have died from actual coronavirus. Everyone else that has passed away was because of pre-existing uh, conditions. And so that is the larger conversation. And in, Cal and in Los Angeles, they want to close for another three months. The, the, the revolt that's happening, and we are going to take so many more districts back in California because of the sheer 
revolt. They had two, they had a special election there that we blew it up by 20 points. And so that's what's happening around the country. People are seeing the example of what's happening in California and New York and Illinois and even Wisconsin, where the Supreme Court had to get involved in it. And that's the beauty of our government that we have a third branch of the judicial that is able to push back and restore rights. Because how dare any mayor of any city say that you, if you wear a face mask, you can get some of your rights back. That is a slap in the face. And they're already talking about having him um, recalled. I think his name is, what is it, Eric uh, Garc- Garcetti? Garcetti, no. Yeah, so they're trying to recall him now because people are upset. And let them, let them be upset. People have to get mad and see that their rights are being violated so they're able to fight back. This is going to be a huge turning point politically, Um, you know, as we saw with 9-11, as we've seen with other major crises in this country where politically it has shifted. And I think we are going to see major changes. Uh, We're obviously going to talk about California and what's happening over there coming up soon. But when you talk about people who are uh, centrist or are capitalists at heart and maybe, you know, maybe more liberal in terms of social issues, you know, say, you know what? Um, this has gotten ridiculous. It's, it, you know, when you hear a Joe Rogan who is absolutely moderate, you know, he's definitely, you know, libertarian on issues, very social on other issues, say, you know what, for my livelihood and the livelihood of my family, uh, like I may have to leave California. You know, you know, he's not the only one thinking that, you know, going back to the New York Times, they put a map out of where everybody that is leaving New York is going to, and one of the main destinations is Florida, you know, primarily South Florida, which they don't need any more people than we do from New York. More liberals in, in, right, from New York. No, but, let them stay there. <laughs> let them stay in South Florida. Do not pollute the need, rest of the North. We still need a wall around Florida at some point. But the, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, to, to, since we've already started ta- talking about it, you know, Johnny, the, the California and uh, turning red you've you've now watched two different districts there that were uh, historically had some republican influence there but you know were not turned red for for about a decade now and you're seeing uh, mike garcia i believe his name is in district three and right. he's was able to to take uh that election a special election from from somebody else uh democrat you know democratic stronghold it does tell you where everybody's mindset is right now and they're seeing that given too much power there's too much regulation, there's too many rules, and it doesn't make sense. And people at, at some level are able to have common sense. If you go to the average person in California, they're normal people. I know that we like to make fun of them a lot on this show and a lot make, make fun of them a lot from Florida, but your average Californian is a pretty normal person, right? Like they're just, they just like, like the beach a little bit too, the same way we do, it's a little bit relaxed. But at the end of the day, they, they still need business to thrive and they still need all of the basic rights that everybody else does in America. And that's why you end up seeing these great displays of patriotism, people driving Jeeps up and down the beach now protesting these ridiculous rules that they have over there because the only the people in power in California are the problem. It's, it's your elitist, you know, uh, you know, Hollywood type that is sitting up there and saying, oh, you know, guys, we need to shut everything down. We, we can't, we, one life is too many and all those different types of like talking points because that's, that's what's bred in, in LA. And it's just, it's not representation, it's not representative of the entire state of California, which I think has a lot more patriots in it than we give them credit for. Chris, go ahead. So I will disagree with you and Evil and Johnny a little bit as far as the whole density thing goes. I think density is a factor, but density coupled with the lifestyle of the Northeast, of New England, the public transit that everyone uses because they, they just have too many cars for it to be practical. LA has 16 lane freeways, so they are more, they're traveling more individually. So that's a, a big factor in spread. So I will give some credit to, to New York in that aspect. But as far as learning a lesson going forward, in, in childhood, we learn lessons by feeling pain. You put your hand on a hot stove, you get hurt. And that you learn from that. That's a, a valuable lesson. But the entire time we've had all this cash flow, this all these band-aids, uh, this painkiller that's kept us from learning a lesson. And that, that lesson's not gonna be felt until that painkiller wears off. And that's when those, those notes come due. Uh, all of this debt becomes called in. Our taxes have to go up to balance the budget. Like this is a, it, it's going to be felt at some point, but I feel like the next round of COVID in October or November or the spring, uh, the coming spring, we won't have felt those lessons yet. So this lesson will have not been learned for maybe another five or 10 years. 
hopefully sooner if people wake up. Chris, um, to that, Chris, to that point, real quick, the the amount of money that we're thinking about spending with another you know three trillion dollar bill would put us at I think close to like thirty trillion or so in debt. If if we take basic interest levels and and calculate that out, the we would be paying about a third, like about twenty eight to thirty percent of our of the, the American spending is going to go to interest payments. Like let's think about that for a little bit. Like it's it's insanity. Uh, and again, like you said, no one's going to really feel it right now because it's numb. Nobody nobody else is footing the bill, but eventually someone's going to have to foot that bill and we're going to do something about it. But most people think of it, it's so, it's so astronomical, people can't even wrap their heads around it, and they're not going to feel it for a long time, but you know, it's eventually going to come crashing down. The, well, states, the, are gonna, the states are going to feel it, if anything, uh, when it comes to the, the bills that they're going to have to pay for. The federal government is never going to have to feel it whatsoever because the, the monetary policy that we control as the United States and govern around the entire world will not allow that to happen. So it's not like the U.S. is ever going to be out of the, um, the basket of, of, of currency. That's never going to happen. We are the world currency with almost 90% of all inter- international trade done in U.S. dollars. But I do well, agree. Chris and Jake, when it comes to the states, having to pay that bill back. And that's something that is going to hit back, hit back harder for them. It's already happened in cities. We will see probably a state in the future having to be, um, which is going to go into default. I, I would see that first before, before anything else. Well, economic ignorance and fear makes it easy to govern this way. That's why Democrats are so successful. If they didn't have this ability to govern this way, they wouldn't exist as a party. Um, but the last point I have as far as learning our lesson, if we look at what the media is doing, um, here in Tampa Bay, we have a Tampa, Tampa Bay Times newspaper that the way they're, they're reporting, the, the methods they're suggesting that are catching on within half of their, their readership or half of our, our county here, uh, the fear is still there. We've learned so much and we've had so much data to, to suggest that, you know, masks aren't necessarily the, the be all end all or that the solution is not going to be coming for another 12 months. So the media's uh, portrayal of how this is going out and that we're still failing is going to result in the same actions being taken in uh, the next couple of waves. I mean, I can't see uh, a a way around that because of people's mindsets about how this still exists. There's people that still think that if you get it, you're going to die if you're 40 years old and healthy. Like that's, that's a a serious factor. I mean, what do you guys think about that? I don't see another shutdown of, national proportion happening again. I think it'll happen within pockets when there's a flare-up, which is perfectly fine, but I do not see another national shutdown whatsoever in the fall or the spring. It won't. Well, and, and in Evil, there never was a national shutdown to, to let everybody kind of get, get that through their head. There's been guidelines. There's been, you know, uh, suggestions on how we socially distance, but it's been entirely left up to the states to decide. And so there has been statewide shutdowns, and but there's been very little national policy other than uh, international flights and, and things like that that has gone towards you know uh, from, a, from a national standpoint. And it was a rolling shutdown when you when you go when you look at it the pressure that state governors were having and some of them kudos to them that did not fall on their swords during the the first initial panic and um, the hype of what was happening in. in but that was March. that was Jake's so point. I, yeah, you that's know, what I'm saying. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna happen again once there is. If there is, and I think there might be a second wave. But even if there is or it's not, I don't think there's going to be the, the ramp up uh, shutdown that we experienced the last two months. Yeah, I mean, what Jake was getting at was that there was no federal directive as to shutting anything in particular down. There were obviously the threat of, you know, and the, he was going to, you know, the president was going to limit immigration from certain countries or he was going to limit immigration, you know, or air travel, you know, in its entirety, you know, to a certain extent. But none of that ever came to fruition because I think they saw that, okay, if we let the states kind of handle this on their own, you know, then you can obviously kind of fine tune and just be supportive in terms of finances, in terms of supplies, you know, where it's needed. But where I think this is going to have the biggest impact on on this country politically is that this has really put a huge hole in the liberal agenda on multiple levels. I mean, we're looking at the fact that um, business owners are realizing that, you know, when you talk about universal basic income, there are people now who don't want to go back to work. 
you know, because it's a real they're problem. getting more money, yeah, you know, and, and I know that's, that's one of the, our back burner topics that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, but then you're also looking at mass transit. Okay. Obviously here in Florida, people have been trying to make the case for more mass transit and light rail and other types of mass transit systems. This completely puts a hole in that because nobody's going to want to come anywhere near a mass transit you would, project. You would think, you would think Johnny, but everyone's still there pushing for it. That's, yeah. that's the problem though, is that, you know, like when it goes back to what I was saying about learning our lessons is that it should put holes in a lot of those theories. It should make you rethink your, your entire philosophy, right? Like if you really like sit there and you're, and you're still far left after this whole thing, I don't know what reality you're living in, but I still see it on my, I see it on my Facebook page. I see my friends that are on that side and they're saying, you know, we just need more government. We, if we had a bigger government, then it would be better. If we had more regulation, it would be better. If we had a better, you know, regulated uh, government health care, it'd be better. If we had universal basic income, it'd be better. All of these things, like, I mean, Greta Thunberg is going on CNN with a, with, after her note about how she's, uh, she's saying that, like, we can't possibly go back to the, re- the, the normal because normal wasn't working. I mean, that's the ideology that you're fighting against here. And so while you think that everyone's going to be rational and, 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 like, say, okay, well, maybe our policies don't make any sense Johnny I don't I don't see it happening it's not happening well no but I'm saying you know again I think anyone with common sense and logic is going to be able to look at that and say okay this obviously isn't going to work in this type of new uh new normal right um because even when you boil it down to something as ridiculous as the St. Petersburg ban on plastic straws okay I'm telling you right now, I, even myself, who isn't really all that worried about catching this virus, I'm still not going to use a glass that somebody else used without a disposable plastic straw. Um, and, and you're going to see a lot more use, especially right now with delivery. You order anything, what do you got? You got single-use plastics, all right? You got, you got styrofoam, you got all this disposable stuff, because that's all going to help minimize, um, you know, any type of transmission in this type of scenario and when it from an environmental standpoint again this puts huge holes in the liberal agenda not not that that's going to stop them i'm just saying that that now those arguments it should but this is what we but this is what you're willing to tolerate now we are 70 days from when this officially started what's going to look like six three months from now even after summer it's going to be a completely different world and, and when i say that i mean the people are going to be willing to take risks and be able to do more and more things concerts will reopen sporting events will reopen and that's why i get so frustrated when people are trying to plan for november and december thinking that we're going to be living the same way we are now which is not true at all i got i got my flight to the caribbean already oh yeah so, yeah so do I. Time. <laughs> And and that's the point that I think a lot of people need to start understanding is that only less than 30 days ago, you wouldn't even fathom going out and going into a restaurant in the general general public. Now you feel you see more people more than willing to do that. And again, it's because the original, I go, I always go by this. The original purpose of this lockdown was to flatten the curve and to give hospitals and organizations time to build up their, their, their um, their capacity to allow for us not to overwhelm the healthcare. Yeah. That was the purpose, and Americans were willing to do it because they saw that there was a purpose and an end game, and to help their fellow American. Now you just see the power grab of what's happening in LA County and what's happening in other left states that they they don't want to give away the power. You give these people a little bit of power, and it's like strong drink to their head, and they're not willing to give it up because they want to change what America is now. But yet you have all these college kids going, thinking about going back to the, in the fall and realizing it's all going to be virtual, but there's no cut in their, in their school uh, fees. See, that's going to start pissing more and more people off when they realize that it's been a bunch of bullcrap. And the value of what's happened, what we valued in the past to what we value in come September will be completely different. Well, guys, uh, thank you again for coming on the show today. Uh, For those of you watching, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Please make sure you share the show. Leave us a comment. Leave us a reaction. Uh, We appreciate you. And don't forget to uh, sign up for the audio version of our podcast now being updated weekly. Uh, And you can do that at Spotify, uh, Google, or Apple podcast platforms, um, or even just search on Google for the yard sign, and it comes right up there. Um, and, uh, And so we've obviously been talking about the $3 trillion bailout, uh, Cuomo's COVID policy. Uh, and now, uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the side effects of all this has been the cancellation of graduation ceremonies and commencement ceremonies. Now, this has obviously opened the window for people to take advantage 
of this kind of moment. And one of the people that has taken advantage of this to try to defend their legacy or what little is left of it is, is former President Obama, who has now taken it upon himself to attack uh, the president, something that has also been typically unprecedented for a former president to attack a president that is in office. Uh, but being that now he's feeling the heat as some of these things come out about his administration, he's speaking out against the president. Um, do you think, guys, that, you know, what is coming out, you know, is going to fall just as hard on Joe Biden? Obviously, it's easy to connect those dots. Uh, or do you think people are going to say, well, that's a problem for Obama to deal with. That has nothing to do with Joe Biden and his candidacy. President, former President Obama, you're in the dunce chair right now. Why are you talking smack about a president who is in something of a magnitude you never dealt with in your presidency? He had you... swine flu. <laughs> okay, uh, well, it didn't go. It didn't go. It didn't go very well, by the way. Nobody cared about it. Yeah, swine flu was a big deal, but no one did care about it. So that's uh, so the points we made earlier. This is a government-made crisis. We can all agree on that. Uh, but anyway, the things that occurred under his nose regarding Michael Flynn and regarding the FBI and our, surve- our, our three-letter agencies, for this to come out and you to be so snide to begin passing judgment on a president that's sitting right now dealing with the biggest crisis in history as far as I'm concerned, uh, it, it's, it's, it's disgusting. He's got to come back. And what's happening right now is exactly what you're talking about, though, is, right? You have General Flynn. Uh, being kind of exonerated in the in the public eye right now, and that looks really bad on Obama, and that looks really bad on Obama's DOJ. And when you start seeing that, he is now being he still has come out now and go, uh, I need to do some damage control and kind of explain like what's going on here and give my opinion on it. And I think that what I want to talk about is that our our listenership of of you know Republicans, I think, are waiting for Obamagate to come down, and they've been waiting for a long time. That there's, you know, I see the memes out there, I see the post. Everyone's like, "Oh, Obama's going to jail." You know, Hillary's going to jail. All these people are going to jail. And, like everyone's all excited for like all of these chips to fall that William Barr is going to come and just lock up all of these Democrats. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna burst your bubble right now, like fellow Republicans. It is not going to happen. I will tell you the same thing that I told my my liberal friends that there's no one's going to jail during during any of this investigation. Um, there's like, none of those ships are going to fall the way you want them to fall. That's just not how this works. That's just not how, like that. When is a lot, even Nixon, go back to Nixon. He didn't go to jail. Um, you know, it, there have been, <laughs> there have been, it's just uh, time after time again, those people that are at the top of the of power here, uh, you saw it in 2008, no one went to jail. I mean, they're just not going to go to jail. I mean, should you be outraged about it? Should you be upset about it? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, temper your hopes and expectations because I don't expect much to come of it. Why are these gigantic crimes like Uranium One, all the things that have happened so far as far as the Russia probes, why does no one ever get in trouble for this kind of stuff at the top of government? People do get in trouble. It's just that, again, what's been a blessing in this country is that we don't go after past presidents when it comes to getting them, going to them, taking them to jail. That will make a, a huge problem and a crisis if we start doing that as a nation. So I don't think Obama's going to prison. I don't think Hillary's going to go to prison unless like someone releases her hit list. I don't know what's going to happen there. That still wouldn't do it. Yeah, I don't think it'd do it either. And so it's never going to happen where the top of the tickets are ever going to go to jail because our system is not designed that way. What I will say is that their legacies get tarred and that's that's the crux of it. Obama was it was like the Karen of of presidents that she felt I'll say this, that she felt that her stink didn't smell, and so every single time so well he was he he was the first president without a scandal, and I'm like, are you serious? Just wait. History always reveals how scandalous it was, and during well, Nebel, that's what that's what the problem is though is that it's not, like when people say to themselves there have been no scandals. It's because of the media's love obsession with that president and, and not holding his feet to the fire during any sort of scandal. And it's the complete opposite with Trump. And so history is going to be, it's going to be remembered based off of who writes it, you know, to, to quote William Barr and a couple other people this week, like history is written by the winners. Well, it's also written by the media narrative and then the general feeling in the country, which is dictated by the media's, you know, uh, you know, projection of it. And, and for Obama, they're never going to say anything bad about him. They're still not saying anything bad about him. Something more and more terrible stuff can come out, but it's just, I think history will remember him as a, as a good president and, a, and one without a scandal 
because I don't that think is it what will. the media I, fees. That's I, what the media I fees do not, Right now, you may think of that, but five, ten years down the line, I do not think of that whatsoever. The breakdown of what's happening uh, and what's being revealed by the Obama gate, by the the general being um, being revealed as he was he was um, what's what's the verbiage that they use unmasks is that people are starting to realize that the Obama administration, the last days of his presidency, were so passive-aggressive of trying to take an incoming president. People are so upset about that. And I hate using this algorithm that it was tw- it was trending on Twitter, because I think it's stupid when people say <laughs> Obamagate, hashtag Obamagate was, tw- was trending on Twitter, and people are talking about it more. It just takes time. It takes journalists to actually do their job. And it just it, it just takes time for these things to come out. We've always known that he's been a corrupt uh, uh, a corrupt president, that he always thought that he was better than everyone else around him. He did nothing for the black community, he did nothing for other minorities, but yet they still praise him because of, I have no idea. When he was on the, the lecture that he was talking about uh, making comments, and it wasn't even direct comments to the president, it was all backhanded comments, that makes it makes him look even more weak because he cannot name the person out. If you're going to talk about Trump, then talk about him because you know what's going to happen? Trump is going to talk about you to your face. You cannot do that, Karen, to President Trump. He's going to hit you back and hit you back even harder. And people don't realize that this was broadcast by J.P. Morgan, show me your walk and all that bull crap that's happening out there. And it was, it was other CEOs, and it was hosted by Kevin Hart. I didn't watch it. I only watched the highlights. But it's this... It's this I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's where the clip comes from of where Obama was talking about it. He was vague about who he was talking to, but he was very on point of talking about his YouTube channel and his deal with Netflix and all the multi-million dollar deal he's getting there. And now I feel, I wish we had more of Carter, if anything, someone that still, he did his job, he was president, and then he went back teaching Sunday school. Because that's what you do when you were, that's what you did as president. You did your job and then you left. And now that Obama's coming back, he'll have even more egg on his face when Joe Biden loses in November. Well, one of the things that I, I, I believe I mentioned off air just before we got started is the fact that this Obamagate thing is going to be what is reminiscent of his administration because every other policy, every other milestone that he thinks he achieved in, throughout his administration has fortunately been undone by this administration, leaving there really nothing left behind, nothing for them uh, to admire. Healthcare, healthcare hasn't, you, been t- you know. hasn't been attacked yet. That's the that's only thing. I think that when you think about Obama, that's this kind of his, his flagship uh, you know, policy. And, and we actually still have that. And we, well, they undid the worst parts of it, you know, they undid the worst parts of it, you know, which was the, the, the tax mandate, you know, cause at the end of the day, that's all it really was. It was, a, it was a money grab. Um, and, and in, in fact, if anybody was in the pockets of these healthcare corporations, these insurance companies, it was Obamacare and it was that administration because all that money and all that just ensured that they were basically too big to fail. Um, and so you're right from the sense that we still have Obamacare in, in some some capacity, but the mandate and, and, and all the legal obligations that came uh, with it, uh, mm-hmm. thanks to the IRS, I mean, those have pretty much vanquished, uh, you know, in the first year or two uh, of this administration. And so, you know, I think he's doing more harm than good. I mean, you know, nothing gets the Republicans uh, fired up more than President Obama. <laughs> and so for him to resurface at this time, especially when Joe Biden's MIA, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's only going to leave even your, your most ardent Democrats saying, man, you know, it's like, I can't believe we couldn't put up a decent candidate for this election. Oh, they and, already feel that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and with the pushback that they are getting from the governors and the mayors in their respective cities and states on all this lockdown nonsense, uh, I think it's only going to push people further to the right because they're going to realize that there was only really one party fighting for freedom and all this. And that's freedom of business, freedom of movement, freedom of, of personal rights and, and, uh, uh, and civil rights. And, yep. and we the, got, the and we just recruited party. Elon. We just recruited Elon Musk. And so <laughs> yeah. everyone else needs to just come on along, take the red pill, listen to his advice, like listen to this show, listen to what we're saying, because we're not crazy. Uh, we're not, we're not what the media wants you to think we are. And if you actually, you know, sit down and listen to the Republican party, there's probably a lot of really reasonable people, especially the younger ones. Yeah, and it's not like we're pushing people to become Republicans. I think the best I, am. I heard from a Joe Rogan perspective was maybe California should turn purple. And I agree with that. I think 
with that kind of, if people get so upset, they're going to want to look for, to vote for someone else. Now, again, in the West Coast and up North, it's difficult to get people to vote for Republicans. But if you tell them we'll vote, that they can vote for something different, then that takes more votes away from the Democratic Party and allows the Republicans to be able to move forward. And it's a numbers game. This whole thing is a numbers game. We're picking up more young people, more minorities, uh, more suburban moms, which is the craziest thing. But we are losing um, those that are 65 and older when it comes to the Republican Party, which is the. I mean, how do you how do you not look at the overspending by California, at their high speed train to nowhere, at the fact that their homeless numbers are through the roof, the fact that they're literally taking tax dollars to give alcoholics and drug addicts more of their vices. You know, in in these kind of situations, it's where people reveal themselves the most. And I think liberals have revealed themselves for what their agenda truly is and the fact that they don't know how to manage their states and cities in a crisis like this. California was red once. I think California will become red again with the pockets of, of blue. But I think this coming election cycle is a perfect time. And again, this might be the best scenario for it to have to really show the tyrannical aspect of their governors and mayors and show that a, a change is needed. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you so much for your insight. And I'm sure we'll have another great list of topics for next week's show. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and do our closing topics. Jake, kick us off. So my final words are going to be to get out and go enjoy life because what you don't want to do is sit around and waste all of the time. Life is short. It really is. And you need to look at it and think to yourself, man, did I just waste three months sitting inside refreshing fake statistics? No. Okay. Well like let go and you don't want to do that the next three months. You don't want to live in fear. Um, look, take reasonable precautions. Uh, there are, there are a lot of things that I don't consider to even be, matter. The masks, I, I am wandering around without masks on because I, I inherently will take on this risk of a, a virus with a you know 99.8% uh, survival rate. I'm okay. I will go out and take a be a risk taker and like live your life. There are dangers out there. That's, that is it. But, you know, please like get back to get back to what you're doing. Like if you're a small business owner, like I, I wish you the best of luck at like getting back as we go through phase one and phase two, um, if you're, you know, not a business owner, but you know, maybe somebody who's has been kind of like cooped up. Like I hope that you getting, getting more and more confident to go out and like, cause the world is safe out there, safe, safe enough that you can, you can at least move around. All right. Christopher Kylan, closing thoughts. So excellent, excellent points, Jake. Really, you took the words out of my mouth, but as far as uh, California turning red, like as far as that whole last topic we were talking about, I hope that this leads to us winning a popular vote in the Electoral College this year. Like, I, I think they'd be the, the best slap in the face to everyone who has misbehaved in government over the course of the last two months. And if I can say anything to people who are taking the red pill, please, when you move, either when you either vote red or <laughs> if you move to somewhere that is red, don't take your blue policies with you. Remember why you left that place and remember that you don't want to take that place and turn it into the hellhole you came from. That's, that's all I have. Thank you. All right. Enable, bring us home. I'm an international guy. I am. DJ, decap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do worry of how the world is going to look in the next six months to a year. Yep. The reason why I say that is because this coronavirus has caused one thing and one thing only. The quickening of what was going to happen with the U.S. pulling out of a lot of trade negotiations and pulling out of almost entire global security situations. And what the ramifications of that looks like when it comes to China, when it comes to Pakistan, when it comes to Brazil, is going to be fascinating. And the problem with it is that the U.S. doesn't care anymore. And so I am very excited to see what, what the world looks like in six months now that the U.S. is bringing everything back in and the reindustrialization of the U.S. is going to be fascinating and beneficial to the U.S. people, but will be detrimental to the world. All right. Thank you so much. And actually, kind of on a similar note, I wanted to close saying that one of the points I wanted to make during our conversation about the, the, the bailout and, you know, the federal deficit and all of this is that, uh, honestly, what's keeping this country together financially or fiscally is the fact that right now, uh, China was kind of our biggest threat 
And honestly, with the backlash that they are definitely going to get because of this coronavirus from a manufacturing standpoint, I think that's going to be a power vacuum uh, away from China. And really the only way for us to get out of this uh, deficit hole is to for us to really take ownership of uh, making products again and not being just a consumer nation, but also a productive nation as well uh, from, a, from a manufacturing standpoint. And so hopefully that, yeah, no, I starting. agree. I mean, when you see companies as big as Apple, you know, pull more and more out of China, um, I think that's a clear sign that whatever's happening in China is not working for uh, for these big corporations in the way that they thought it would. And uh, the backlash, I think, from Americans on foreign-made products, specifically coming from China, I think is going to be very loud and very real. So, uh, it's starting to look like. It's, I'm, I want to say that it's starting to look like China is kind of doing this on purpose. But it has, in the last two months, it has destroyed and burned three decades of international negotiations and, and dialogue and diplomacy. So to see how that country is going to reintegrate itself into the world is almost impossible. And they have a demographic problem. They have a consumer problem they do not have any of the strengths to let them become a first world nation and it's going to be sad to see the ramifications of their decisions as their leadership oh they're in a huge panic i mean they're not you know their pr machine couldn't be working any harder right now and unfortunately we have a media that's going to appease them and so mm-hmm. you're going to have your nbc's and your cbs's continue to push out you know the the, the chinese government's narrative because the nba yeah, not do that. So tune into the yard sign every week for real news. That's, That's right. On, on behalf of Chris or Kylan and Evil Cabrera and Jay Coffin, I'm Johnny Torres. Thank you so much for watching the yard sign again. Please share this episode and make sure to subscribe to the audio version of our podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google platforms. Until next time, don't forget to like and share. Uh, we appreciate you watching. This has been another episode of the yard sign. Say goodbye, fellas. Adiós.